Chapter Fourteen of In League with Israel. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Marianne. In League with Israel by Annie Fellows Johnston. Chapter Fourteen, Herzenruhe. A story has come down to us of a cricket that, hidden away in an old oak chest, found its way to the new world in the hold of the Mayflower. When night came, and the strange loneliness of those winter wilds made the bravest heart appalled, when little children held with homesick longing to their mother's hands, and talked of England's bonny hedgerows, then the brave little cricket came out on the hearthstone, and its familiar chirp, bringing back the cheer of the happy past, comforted the children, and sang new hopes into the hearts of their elders. With every vessel that has touched the New World's shores since that time have come these fireside voices, whether stowed away in the ample chests of the first Virginians, or bound in the bundles of the last steerage passengers just landed at Castle Garden. Some quaint custom of a distant fatherland has always folded its wings, ready to chirp on the new hearthstone, the familiar evensong of the old. That is how the American celebration of Christmas has become so cosmopolitan in its character. It is a chorus of all the customs that, cricket-like, have journeyed to us, each with its song of an old lang syne. "'I should like to have a little of everything this year,' remarked Miss Caroline, as, pencil in hand, she prepared to make a long memorandum. It was two weeks before Christmas, and she had called a family council in her room, after Jack had gone to bed. Mrs. Marion and Lois were there, busily embroidering. It is the first time we have had a home of our own for so many years, or been where there is a child in the family, added Miss Harriet, that we ought to make quite an occasion of it. Now, my idea, remarked Miss Caroline, is to begin back with the mistletoe of the Druids, and then the holly and plum pudding of old England. I'm very sorry we can't have the Yule log and the wassail bowl and the dear little Christmas waits, it must have been so lovely. But we can have a tree Christmas Eve, with all the beautiful German customs that go with it. Jack must hang up his stocking by the chimney, whether he believes in Santa Claus or not. Then we must read up all the Scandinavian and Dutch and Flemish customs, and observe just as many as we can. All of this just for Jack and Lee, said Mrs. Marion, thoughtfully. Bless you, no, exclaimed Miss Caroline. Jack is going to invite ten poor children that the Junior Mercy and Help Department have reported. He is so grateful for being able to walk a little that he wants to give up his whole Christmas to them. "'What do you want me to do?' asked Lois. "'I'm through with my last present now, and I'm ready for anything, from serving a dinner to the slums to playing a bagpipe for its entertainment.' As she spoke she snipped the last thread of silk with her little silver scissors and tossed the piece of embroidery into Bethany's lap. Bethany spread it out admiringly. "'You're a true artist, Lois,' she said. "'These sweet peas look as if they had just been gathered. They would almost tempt the bees.' "'They're not as natural as raised buttercups,' answered Lois. "'You can't guess whom she's making that table cover for.' Mrs. Marion held it up for them to see. "'For that dear old grandmother, where we were entertained at Chattanooga last summer,' she said. "'Don't you remember Mrs. Warford, Bethany?' She couldn't hear well enough to enjoy the meetings, or to talk to us much, but her face was a perpetual welcome. She asked me into her room one day and showed me a great bunch of red clover someone had sent her from the country. She seemed so pleased with it, 
and told me about the clover chains she used to make and the buttercups she used to pick in the meadows at home with all the artlessness of a child that is why i chose this design there never was another like you cousin ray said bethany you remember everything and everybody at christmas and i don't see how you ever managed to get through with so much work love lightens labor quoted miss harriet sententiously at least that's what my old copy-book used to say and it also said if i remember aright said miss caroline a little severely plan out your work and work out your plan it's high time we were settling down to business if we expect to accomplish anything while this christmas council was in session in miss caroline's room another was being held in an old farmhouse in the northern part of the state by gottlieb hartmann's wife and daughter everything in the room gave evidence of german thrift and neatness from the shining brass andirons on the hearth to the geraniums blooming on the window-sill herzenruhe was the name of the home gottlieb hartmann had left behind in the fatherland when he came to america a poor emigrant boy and that was the name now carved on the arch that spanned the wide entrance gate leading to the home and the well-tilled acres that he had earned by years of steady honest toil it was indeed heart's ease or heart rest to every wayfarer sheltered under its ample roof tree he had accumulated his property by careful economy but he gave out with the same conscientious spirit with which he gathered in no matter when the summons might come at nightfall or at cock-crowing he was ready to give an account of his faithful stewardship not only had he divided his bread with the hungry but he had given time and personal care and a share in his own home life to those who were in need more than one young farmer jogging past herzenruhe in a wagon of his own looked gratefully up the long lane and remembered that he owed the steady habits of his manhood and his present prosperity to gottlieb hartmann for in all the years since he had had a place of his own there had seldom been a time when some homeless boy or another had not been a member of his household he was an old man now white-haired and rheumatic and called grandfather by all the countryside but he was still young at heart sweet and sound to the very core like a hardy winter apple his children had all married and gone farther west except his oldest daughter carlotta whom no one had ever been able to lure away from her comfortable home nest she was an energetic self-willed little body who had gradually assumed control until the entire household revolved around her just now she had wheeled her sewing machine beside the table on which the evening lamp stood and was preparing to dress a whole family of dolls to be packed in the christmas boxes that were to be sent west her mother sat on one side of the fireplace her sweet wrinkled old face bright with the loving thoughts that her needles were putting into a little red mitten destined for one of the boxes it will be the first christmas since i can remember said carlotta that there will be no little ones here and no tree to light ben's boy was here last year and all of mary's children the year before it's a pity they are so far away it will just spoil my christmas mr hartman laid down the german advocate he was reading ach lotta he said i forgot to tell you there will be a little lad here to-morrow to take dinner with us when i was in town to-day i met our good friend frank marion and he had a boy with him whose father is just dead and he is the guardian how many years has it been since mr marion first came here asked carlotta seems to me i was only a little girl and now i have pulled out lots of gray hairs already it has been twenty years at least answered her mother 
It was while we were building the ice-house, I know. Yes, assented her husband. I had gone into Ridgeville one Saturday to get some new books, and I met him in the shoe-store. He was just a young fellow making his first trip, and he seemed so strange and homesick that when I found he was a country boy and a strong Methodist, I brought him out here to stay over Sunday with us. I remember you brought him right into the kitchen where I was dropping noodles in the soup, answered Mrs. Hartman, and he has seemed to feel like one of the family ever since. Yes, he has never missed coming out here every time he has been in this part of the state, from that day to this, said Mr. Hartman, taking up his paper again. Meanwhile, in the Ridgeville Hotel, three miles away, Mr. Merriam was telling Lee of all the pleasant things that awaited him at Herzenruhe. The boy was so impatient to start that he could hardly wait for the time to come, and he dreamed all night of the country. Mr. Marion saw very little of him during the visit. The delighted child spent all his time in the barn, or in the dairy, helping Miss Carlotta. "'Oh, I wish we didn't ever have to go away,' he said. "'There's the dearest little colt in the barn, and six Holstein calves, and a big pond in the pasture covered with ice.' Later he confided to Mr. Marion, Miss Carlotta makes doughnuts every Saturday, and she says there's bushels of hickory nuts in the garret. When Miss Carlotta found out that Mr. Marion was going on to the next town before starting home, she insisted on keeping Lee until his return. "'Let him get some of the sun and wind into his pulses. It will be good for him,' she said. "'Nobody knows better than I,' answered Mr. Marion, "'the sweet wholesomeness of country living. I should be glad to leave him in such an atmosphere always. He would develop into a much purer manhood.' and I am sure would be far happier. Miss Carlotta shook her head sagely. We'll see, she said. Don't say anything to him about it, but we'll try him while you're gone, and then I'll talk to father. He seems right handy about the chores, and there is a good school near here. Two days later, when Mr. Marion came back, he went out to the barn to find Lee. The boy had just scrambled out of a haymow with his hat full of eggs. His face was beaming. I learned to milk, he said proudly, and I rode to the post-office this afternoon, horseback. "'Do you like it here, my boy?' asked Mr. Marion. "'Like it?' repeated Lee emphatically. "'Well, I should say. Mr. Hartman is just the grandfatherless old grandfather I ever knew, and they're all so good to me.' It proved to be a very eventful journey for the boy, for after some discussion about his board it was arranged that he should come back to the farm after the holidays. "'Do I have to wait until then?' he asked. "'Why couldn't I stay right on, now I'm here? "'You could send my clothes to me, "'and it wouldn't cost near as much as to go home first. "'What will Bethany say?' asked Mr. Marion. "'She is planning for a big tree and lots of fun Christmas.' "'But Papa won't be there,' pleaded Lee. "'I'd so much rather stay here than go back to town and find him gone.' "'Then you shall stay,' exclaimed Miss Carlotta, "'touched by the expression of his face. "'We'll have a tree here.' You can dig one up in the woods yourself. When Mr. Marion drove away, Lee rode down the lane with him to open the big gate. After he had driven through, he turned for one more look. The boy stood under the archway, waving goodbye with his cap. The late afternoon sun shone brightly on the happy face, and illuminated the snow, still clinging to the quaintly carved letters on the arch above, till it seemed they were all golden letters that spelled the name of Herzenruhe. This holiday season would have been a sad time for Bethany, had she allowed herself to listen to the voices of Christmas past, but Baxter Trent's example helped her. She turned resolutely away from her memories, saying, I will be like him. 
no heart shall ever have the shadow of my sorrow thrown across it full of one thought only to bring some happiness into every life that touched her own she found herself sharing the delight of every child she saw crowding its face against the great show windows she anticipated the pleasure that would attend the opening of each bundle carried by every purchaser that jostled against her in the street it was impossible for her to breathe the general air of festivity at home and not carry something of the christmas spirit to the office with her everybody has caught the contagion she said gaily coming into the office saturday afternoon with sparkling eyes and snowflakes still clinging to her dark furs i saw that old bachelor mr crookshaw whom everybody thinks so miserly going along with a little red cart under his arm and a tin locomotive bulging out of his pocket jack is missing a great deal said david by not being downtown every day oh no indeed she exclaimed he is nearly wild now with the excitement of the preparations that are going on at home that reminds me he has written a special invitation for you to be present at the lighting of his tree christmas eve he put it in my muff so that i could not possibly forget i am sure you will enjoy watching the children she added after she had told him of their various plans and i hope you will be sure to come thank you he responded warmly that is the second invitation i've had this afternoon mr marion has just been in to ask me to attend the league's devotional meeting to-morrow night he says it will be especially interesting on account of the season and insists that turnabout is fair play he went to our atonement day services and he wants me to be present at his christmas services we shall be very glad to have you come said bethany dr bascom is to lead the meeting instead of any of the young people who usually take turns i cannot tell how such a meeting might impress an outsider to me they are very inspiring and helpful that night as she sat in her room indulging in a few minutes of meditation before putting out the light she reviewed her acquaintance with david herschel her conscience condemned her for the little use she had made of her opportunity it had been four months since he had come into the office and while they had several times discussed their respective religions she had never found an occasion when she could make a personal appeal to him to accept christ once when she had been about to do so he had abruptly walked away and another time a client had interrupted them i must speak to him frankly she said then she knelt and prayed that something might be said or sung in the service of the morrow that would prepare the way for such a conversation david felt decidedly out of place sunday evening as he took a seat in the back part of the room in the least conspicuous corner he could find they were singing when he entered he recognized the tune it was the one he had heard at chattanooga near my god to thee it seemed to bring the whole scene before him the sunrise the vast concourse of people and the earnestness that thrilled every soul at the close of the song another was announced in a voice that he thought he recognized he leaned forward to make sure yes he had been correct it was hewson raleigh's one of the keenest most scholarly lawyers at the bar and a man he met daily he was leaning back in his seat beating time with his left hand as he led the tune with his strong tenor voice he sang as if he heartily enjoyed it and meant every word and note david moved over to make room for a newcomer from his changed position he could see a number of people he recognized mr and mrs marion lois denning and the courtney sisters bethany was seated at the piano presently the door from the pastor's study opened and dr bascom came in and took his seat beside the president of the league look at dr bascom he heard someone behind him whisper to her escort what do you suppose could have happened his face actually shines 
David had been watching it ever since he took his seat. It was a benign, pleasant face at all times, but just now it seemed to have caught the reflection of a great light. Everybody in the room noticed it. David, quick to make Old Testament comparisons, thought of Moses coming down the mountain from a talk with God. He felt as positively, as if he had seen for himself, that the minister had just risen from his knees, and had come in among them, radiant from the unspeakable joy of that communion. Everyone present began to feel its influence. The prophecy Dr. Bascom had chosen for reading was one they had heard many times, but it seemed a new proclamation as he delivered it. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Something of the gladness that must have rung through the song of the heralds on that first Christmas night seemed to thrill the minister's voice as he read. Then he turned to Luke's account of the shepherds abiding in the fields by night, that beautiful old story that will always be new until the stars that shine nightly over Bethlehem have ceased to be a wonder. As the service progressed, David began to feel that he was not in a church, but that he had stumbled by mistake on some family reunion. Everything was so informal. They told the experiences of the past week, the blessings and the trials that had come to them since they had last seen each other. Sometimes they stood, oftener they spoke from where they sat, just as they would have talked in some home circle. And through it all they seemed to recognize a divine presence in the room, to whom they spoke at intervals with reverence, with humility, but with the deepest love and gratitude. As David listened to voice after voice testifying to a personal knowledge of Christ as a Savior, he was forced to admit to himself that they possessed something to which he was an utter stranger. When Hewson Raleigh arose, David listened with still greater interest. He knew him to be an eloquent lawyer, and had heard him a number of times in rousing political speeches, and once in a masterly oration over the nation's dead on Memorial Day. He knew what a power the man had with a jury, and he knew what respect even his enemies had for his unimpeachable veracity and honor. Raleigh stood up now, quiet and unimpassioned as when examining a witness, to give his own clear, direct, lawyer-like testimony. He said, there may be some here to-night to whom the prophecy that was read and the story of the advent are only of historic interest to such i do not come with the sayings of the prophets or to repeat the tidings of the shepherds or to ask any one's credence because the apostles and martyrs and christians of all times believed i tell you that which i myself do know the holy spirit has led me to the christ if he were only an ethical teacher if he were not the son of god he could not have entered into my life and transformed it as he has done. My star of hope is far more real to me than the stars outside that lighted my way to this room to-night. I have knelt at his feet and worshipped, and gone on my way rejoicing. I know that through the sacrifice he offered on Calvary, my atonement is made. I stand before the Father justified, through faith in his only begotten. The voice that bears witness to this may not be audible to you, but, though all the voices in the universe were combined to dispute it, they would be as nothing to that still, small voice within that whispers peace, the witness of the Spirit. On the Day of Atonement, Marion and Cragmore had not been half so surprised at hearing the League benediction intoned by a rabbi and choir, as was David when the familiar blessing of the synagogue was repeated in unison by those of another faith. The Lord bless thee and keep thee, the Lord make his face to shine upon thee, and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee, and give thee peace. David had heard so much of Methodists that he expected noisy demonstrations and great exhibitions of emotion. 
he had found enthusiastic singing and hearty responses of amen during the prayers but while the prevailing spirit seemed one of intense earnestness it had the depth and quiet of some great resistless undercurrent he slipped out of the room after the benediction fearful of meeting curious glances a member of the reception committee managed to shake hands with him but his friends had not discovered his attendance two things followed him persistently the expression of dr bascom's face and hewson raleigh's emphatic i know he took the last train out to hill hollow wishing he had stayed away from the league meeting it haunted him and made him uncomfortable he walked the floor until long after midnight even sleep brought him no rest for in his dreams he was still groping blindly in the dark for something he knew not what but something wise men had found long years ago in a starlit manger earth's herzenruhe end of chapter fourteen